Owners of a direct care practice are more likely to experience higher job satisfaction than the insurance-based practice, and it's no wonder why. Direct care is independent of insurance. Patients pay the doctor directly for their expertise. The doctor gets full autonomy in how they care for patients and how they get paid. We've chosen this path for the love of medicine. This is the direct care way. By listening to this podcast, you may even start to believe that you too can have a successful direct care practice. Come listen with an open mind as I share my personal journey on how I pivoted from an insurance-based practice to direct care right in the middle of the pandemic and the valuable lessons along the way. This podcast may be the very thing you need to revitalize your medical practice. I'm your host, owner of a direct care podiatry practice, Dr. T. Nguyen. I don't know if you noticed, but every 10th episode is a really, really special episode, and this one is no different. Welcome to episode 40. I am going to share with you a conversation I had with my own personal mentor, Dr. Grace Torres Hodges, who had recently earned her MBA degree, and she is a practicing podiatrist doing direct care in Florida, and was receptive enough to talk with me about direct care and all of the things Really, I let her take on the conversation because she had just gotten back from speaking at the Nuts and Bolts 2.0 conference, which is all DPC doctors. So DPC is direct primary care doctors, and she spoke as a specialist and some of the challenges that specialists have that is different from primary care. And so she was able to give us an inside look to that conversation. So I hope you enjoy this one. And oh yes, there was just so much to get into that there will be a part two. So stay tuned for that one too. All right, here you go. Enjoy. I'm so excited to have my very own private mentor, I call her, although I've not paid her, (laughs) but she should be charging me for all the questions I've ever asked her about transitioning from the insurance-based practice into direct care. And I met Dr. Grace Torres what, two years ago? And I feel like I've known you forever because I've constantly... You know, at the start of something new, at the start of the transition, I was so afraid of what I didn't know. And Grace was really literally that saving grace for me, that anchor that said, look, it's fine. I've been doing this a lot longer than you have. And look where I'm at. And so Grace is alive. She's well. <laughs> so I invited I, her on here. I am, and I'm so excited every time I see you uh, move further along on the direct care path and spread the spread the good news. Um you know, I, I think, yeah, two years is when two years ago we met, but actually you contacted me a little bit right before it's right at the beginning of COVID, right before COVID even, I think, yeah. to a certain extent. So um, COVID seems to be the one that actually opened the eyes of direct care to everybody else. You know, I, those of us that were in it before um, were just really more jaded by all the insurance things. I, I, I recall my 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 transition all the time whenever I have to speak in front of groups and um, most recently I was going through that again because I just came back from from Dallas from the 2.0 DPC uh, nuts and bolts conference and um, it's full circle for me with that one because uh, 2013 was when I first met that group and um, and also through the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons and I, you know, was the lone podiatrist at that at that conference. Actually, I take that back. There was one other guy that was there that was interested. But, you know, we were at the beginning of Obamacare had just been um, 
regulated and approved and the exchange was about to start um, and the, the website just crashed. And um, that's what we were, we were in the midst of all that because I we're remember like, that. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were, we were about to get inundated by all these people. And my thing was, um, I have a very smart office manager, my husband, who actually has an insurance background. He was the one that actually got me out of, uh, got me on the straight and narrow to, to get away from insurance and saying, you know, these guys are just like taking advantage of y'all and you don't need to be your, your skill set, your knowledge, your, they can't function without you. So you better start looking at maybe getting out of it. And I didn't believe him at first because I had all the fears, like everybody else, like everybody that always comes and says, will it work? I mean, will it work even in my area, especially because I live here, you know, I live on the Gulf Coast in Florida. Not only is it geriatric uh, heavy, but I'm also in a military town. So we have a lot of federal TRICARE and Champus and all that too. So everything really is already, the, the mindset here among patients is that everything should be covered. I've put my time in, it should be covered. But um, you know, even at the start of my practice and a lot of what I learned was from my folks who were both physicians. Um, they are were in general uh, surgery, my dad and my mom was internal medicine. Um, I was free labor in their office. So I grew up in that office. A lot of my business sense in running a practice, I learned from them. So I, that's my advantage. But, you know, the specialties are completely different. Um, and but, you know, with that in mind, I watched them practice medicine the old fashioned way. You, you know, my mom was the type that would take patients after she examined them in the exam room take them to her room and literally sit down with them one-on-one -on -one for a good 15, 20 minutes. She was notoriously known for running behind. The mall was near her office. So patients would say, uh, how, how long is she behind? The staff would say, she's about two hours. We'll, we'll call you when it's your time. You can go shopping, you know? So um, she spent the time. It, it was, she was always worth the wait. My father was very good about explaining procedures and drawing everything out. I picked up that skill from him. So I draw all procedures out for patients. And um, if you don't create that common bond with them and that relationship with them, why, you know, they're entrusting you. I mean, they're, they're, that's a lot when they come to you. And that's the beauty of medicine is because, you know, you're, you're, someone's trusting you to do something for them. And it's that giving back. Um, and I think that's what all of us went into medicine to do. We did not go into medicine to do all the minutiae. And um, so that's that's what direct care has been a saving grace for me because I didn't realize that you could do it that way. So um, whenever I have somebody like yourself reach out to me, I am more than happy to like help them through it and guide you through it. But there's no magic pill and there's no magic um, formula. Everybody has to do it their way. But um, there's a lot of tried and try, trial and error that we've gone through already that we try and share back. Do you think that there is some kind of relative formula as for one doctor to decide if it's going to work in their community? Because like I'm, I was in the same situation. Most of the people in my community were low income or mm -hmm. on Medicare. And so that was 60% of my revenue. So having to opt out of the, you know, the, the financial right. aspect was a huge blow to me, but I was uh -huh. prepared for that. 
Right. What do you think, how should somebody be prepared to start transitioning from insurance into direct care? I, you know, one of the things that I think that I see very different is when you get a resident coming in and talking to me and asking about direct care, their mindset and their lifestyle is very different than a transitioning doctor who has already been used to receiving a X salary or from their practice and everything. So your lifestyles are different. To a certain extent, it's easier when they're a resident and transitioning when they have that, it's a lower, you know, they lowball the, the numbers a little bit better. And that way it's easier to build. You have to, when you're starting out fresh, if you recall, even, even in your insurance-based practice, when we started fresh, we still had to build rapport in the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were days early on that I, I didn't have full full schedules. I mean, you were only seeing, you know, 10 to 12, and then you build up to 20. And for some reason, we have this mindset that um, the more, more is better. That means we're more successful. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. The idea of um, working smarter, not harder is, is something that we need to instill again, back to, yeah. to doctors. But there's, there's always that, uh, the numbers game of, of increasing, increasing. So with regards to your question, uh, is there a, a formula? It, it's really reading the demographics in your area. You have to do a good market research in there. But I do see in, in, in mentoring others, I've noticed that the ones that go straight out have a little easier time reaching, reaching their, their goal. Um, if you're transitioning be realistic and you almost have to like take away all the the fancy and get back to really the nuts and bolts, get very lean with um, your expenditures, you know? Um, And that's, that's, it's, I wish there was a a formula, but I'm, I'm working on something. So I'll I'll just kind of leave that out there. I am working on, (laughs) I knew you were (laughs) regarding pricing and strategy, but um, you know, I'm trying to explain it in a way that everybody can appreciate it. So. Because we know direct primary uh-huh. care doctors exist in rural places, right? And it works for them because they're working off of a membership, so they can still right. offer a low monthly fee and uh-huh. see a certain number of people. But specialists have a different challenge. We we pull from a smaller pool of people to serve in a way. Right. right? We're not the primary per- person that people seek medical care from. Although right. we do a lot of primary care and podiatry, and so that uh-huh. is an you know, part of our practice. And so have you ever considered a membership type of pricing for your uh, practice? I actually, I actually did, um, you know, because especially look, look at our seniors and then our diabetic care and everything like that. Personally, it, the, the issue that I had with it was um, because the care tends to be episodic and because the relationship developed even before I left uh, insurance-based, I was very preventative care. And so I had them on regular schedule. They weren't coming in as often as like a monthly, a monthly, monthly thing. Um, the, the other thing was more importantly, they were willing to pay a visit rather than a membership. And having talked to some of the, um, like the MDVIP doctors, one of the issues that they had was they felt like they were tethered to their patient the entire time when they were member membership. Um, I, I don't want to be tethered. That's my personal thing with it. Um, 
if there was a way, I think I would do it. I think for some specialists, I mean, I, I, I know you've, you've ventured into membership and if it works for you, it really depends upon the demographic. I have a, I have a lot of diabetics. I have a lot of seniors, but healthy seniors, I have a lot of kids and parents pay for children uh, episodically. It's not going to be a chronic, chronic thing. So I really, I I tried, but it didn't work in my, in my, in my realm. Um, I wish we, you know, you're always looking for that revenue stream though. Um, The beauty of at least in podiatry, we have so many other revenue streams, not just our visits because we have procedures, we have surgeries, we have orthotics, we have um, in-office dispensing, um, you know, that that offers lasers, that offers a lot of other um, um, venues for us to work with. So yeah. I wish there was, I wish there was a way, but I think like certain ones like rheumatology, I think um, endocrinology, because there's that chronicity um, with their, with their care so yeah I like I like having both but I can see where it can be confusing because the reason why I implemented a membership was to serve the lower income people so Uh that it's just an accident because I had so many already in Uh in my panel before I was like well how can I give back without like going without bankrupting my practice and so this was the only way that I saw was it's not working on a financial uh, numbers it's actually a way for me to give back so if they are buying into my membership for palliative foot care, they can also get x-rays, you know, covered right. because it's like they sprain something, they step on something. Like I don't make a big deal about it right. because I know they're going to tell their friends and their family exactly. members and it, it kind of works out. It's not working out in a profitable way as a fee for service. I don't think, or not yet there is a tipping point. So I'm, I'm free to explore. And that's kind of why I like direct care. Cause I get to choose. Exactly. That Exactly. You know, and one of the things that you may want to consider also is the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm all about giving back as much as possible. But when we have our practices set up the way that they are now as direct care, patients that are coming here value the fact that we're, we're actually taking that time. And so our time here is much more intentional. It's also better managed, too, to the point where, you know, I cut the number of days a week that I, that I work as a result of it, so I can spend a full day doing clinic in a, in a, um, in a free clinic, you know, so, you know, your patients that are seeing you, um, as, as in the direct care practice, they're, they're the ones subsidizing your ability to go and and go elsewhere. Um, you know, my thing with charity was always that when, when someone's on insurance still, and if you're still taking third parties, every write-off that you do is a charity, you know, when you yeah. think about it. And, but I'd rather give the charity to the ones that I want to give rather than being told how much to, oh, yeah. to take a paycheck. <laughs> um, you know, but as far as, and what's interesting is that there's this misconception with um, direct care that we only take care of rich folks. And it's not, it's, that's probably the furthest from the truth because, you know, when we do go and if I have a patient, even if they're doing surgery, you know, one of the things for me is that we can make payment plans with the patient. We can set up bundled services. There is not a rule set that it's, um, that it has to be done or paid this day or anything like that you can make a payment plan because you have that relationship with them i barter i had my logo for our for um my my consulting was a barter 
um, for nail for nail surgery. You know, you can do things like that. So old school medicine, definitely. Do you know? And so it, it's it's just there's there are a lot of options there, and I think I think it, as more and more people find out about direct care, I think they'll be they'll be happy to see it. Um, the thing about primary care, which you brought up, was interesting because, like I said, I just came back from this this um, conference, and the topic I was given was redefining uh, direct primary care for the specialist. And I know you and I have been also on um, my DPC story. And one of the things that they mentioned at the end of that is like, and this is my DPC story. And you're supposed to say, um, you know, my direct prim uh, primary care practice. The funny thing was that as I was researching for that and preparing that um, lecture, every doctor does primary care. If we're really practicing medicine, every doctor does primary care. Primary care is not a specialty. Primary care is a designation, ironically started by insurance companies. And the weird thing about it is, and it, it, it was always all these things that were started by insurance companies were weren't bad to begin with. They were they were initially set up so that it could push patients to go and get regular checkups. And as a result of that, they had to in their contracts designate specifically primary care. And they designated specific specialists in family practice, internal medicine, and, um, uh, and in OBGYN to be that. And then as time went on, they changed the reimbursement rates, the RVUs and everything like that. But, you know, it, for every doctor takes care of patients that have chronic illnesses, takes care of patients in a preventative way. If we're doing our job right, we should be doing all those things also. So, uh, when specialists come to me and ask about can DPC work, I think one of the first things that turns them off is that they're thinking it's just for primary care. It's not. It's for everyone. If we are practicing medicine the way it should be, it just happens to be that that name came up, the DPC is the, the main one because they were the first ones to really get this going. But that was just kind of an, I know that's a little bit sidetracked, but <laughs> I found that interesting over the weekend when I was going and I, I had the realization while I was giving the presentation, actually. That's a really good point because now that I can spend more time with patients, I have to look at uh -huh. them as a whole person. So I, exactly. I call, uh -huh. I call it holistic care, but that's kind of what you should be doing anyway. It's uh -huh. not a toe that's broken. It's actually who is it connected to and what are their obligations outside of the office? Like, can we exactly. actually take them to surgery? Are right. they in their right mind to even have the surgery? Absolutely. Do they have enough support at home? Or even yeah. uh, you know, how is their home set up? You don't get a chance to ask. I know, you know, when we were in residency, how many times do you ask? Do you have stairs at your house? How many, how many stairs mm -hmm. do you have to go up to your bedroom? How many times do you get up in the middle of the night? You know, those things count for us because we don't want them to step on our surgery site, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but that was kind of a, that was kind of a realization that I came up with when I was, when I was talking, it's like, ah, that makes sense now. And so I think it all, like I said, it came all full circle for me when I was, when I was speaking there, but, you know, but I, I, whatever we need to do to really push this, it's, it's the way that insurance based practices are going, it's dying and it's going to kill off doctors also. And I hate to be that dramatic, but it's doing that already. We're losing so many good doctors um, out there in all specialties, you know? And the thing is, is that doctors are innately, resilient and we're very proactive. We know that the if we get to the root cause of things, 
And the root cause is, is the interference. And I'm not an anti-insurance person as far as um, people need to have insurance. Insurance is a risk management tool to protect you from um, uh, financial disarray from healthcare expenses. The problem is it, they are not good stewards of money. There are other health uh, insurance uh, insurance type of plans that are out there other than the typical, what we call the VUCAs, which is Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Health, uh, Humana, and Aetna. Um, you know, just, but people need to be aware of it. There are a lot of health sharing ministries out there, but, you know, we were talking about the uh, lower income patients. I, I don't know, even when I'm at the clinic, every single one of my patients has a cell phone. Mm-hmm. How they have a cell phone or they're smoking, um, they've mm-hmm. got to pay for that someplace, right? You know, yeah. it's where you put your money. And one of the things with my, my patients it is the fact that, um, you know, they will save up, you can budget properly. And if they take, if they take, uh, if they really consider their health to be something that they want to invest in, they need to save it. And, you know, and we make it, we make it easy. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Grace, I will be putting her social media handle down in the show notes. Please be sure to subscribe and share this episode with anybody you think who would benefit from a direct care practice. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for being here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please like, share, and subscribe so more people like you can have access to another way of practicing medicine, the direct care way. Let's connect. Find my info in the show notes and send me your questions. It might be the topic for future episodes. And lastly, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Be the energy you want to attract. See you next time.